Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege to um, be here with you all this morning um, as we continue our series on uh, the word for the weary. Um, I don't have this, the internet speed that Ford just bragged of. Um, so we'll have to do with just normal uh, light speed instead of the ludicrous speed there. So uh, forgive me if anything, if anything happens, but uh, I think we should be okay. Um, for the, the kids, if there are any kids on this morning, um, I have a little bit of a different uh, task for you. Um, today, the adults, we're going to be talking about how sometimes it's okay to be sad. Sometimes it's okay to feel down. And so I think it'd be really helpful for us adults if the kids, um, during the during the service and um, to share afterwards, if you all would share at the end what you do when you feel sad, what helps you feel happier, what helps you feel better. It could be a special toy, it could be an activity, it could be a friend that you like talking to, whatever it helps you um, feel happier. Uh, and then share that um, with your parents and with the church afterwards. I think that would be a lot of help to us um, and maybe start some good conversations about these things. So um, you could take, take on that task for me. That would be a lot of help um, for the rest of us. Like I said, we're continuing today our series on the word for the weary. And we're looking at a section of scripture that contains a very famous verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. These are beautiful words. And for many of us, they might be the only words we're familiar with from this short book of lament and sorrow called Lamentations. We sing these words in Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, one of the favorite hymns of the past hundred years. We celebrate them as one of the clearest depictions of the character of God in Scripture. But as I think back on this year, on the lockdown and quarantines, on protests and egregious injustice, if I'm honest, there have been days when these words have not rung true when they've felt hollow. I am tired of the news. I'm tired of the politics and the back and forth. I'm tired of all the fear and uncertainty. I'm tired of still spending a majority of my time at home. And I'm really tired of all the Zoom meetings. I think if we're all honest, sometimes we fall short of believing with our whole heart that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Some days it's difficult to wake up in the morning and believe we have new mercies. So my question is, what do we do on those days? What word does God have for our weary souls then? What are we to do when the reality of the situation feels too great, even for God's great faithfulness? 
I think if we take a look beyond this famous section of Lamentations into the sadness and lament around it, we might find our answer. So first, some important background to this book, something I think I just realized this week while studying it. Lamentations isn't really necessary to the story of Scripture, but it is necessary for our hearts and for our minds. What do I mean by that? Lamentations is an extended reflection on the fall of Jerusalem. So we actually already have the, that account back in 2 Kings 25. There the bare objective facts of the conquest are laid out. The invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, the desecrating of the temple, the ransacking and plundering and destruction of Jerusalem. King Zedekiah is taken into exile, his family is killed. The majority of the remaining population of Jerusalem is forced into a thousand mile march into exile. So we know the history. We know the story of Lamentations already. But something is missing from those bare facts. Those bare facts don't tell us how the people of Jerusalem experienced this destruction. Second Kings 25 doesn't tell us the impact of a city lost, a people scattered, and a king carried off. It doesn't tell us how to face this reality, how to handle a tragedy in a world where far too many of them happen. Jerusalem was a precious city, and Israel a chosen people. And when we lose something precious, it's important to mourn. When we go through difficult times, it is important to lament. By including lamentations in scripture, God is inviting us to do just that. Sadness and sorrow, these emotions that our culture works so hard to avoid and push away, are actually biblically sound emotions. This fallen world is not as God made it to be. And Lamentations tells us it's okay to mourn that fact. More than okay, it might be one of the most important spiritual practices we have. Think about it this way. Would our sacred scripture have a book with five chapters of uninterrupted lament if lament wasn't somehow helpful to us? And so to learn how it can be helpful, I think we need to weep with those who weep. We need to actually listen to this difficult book and become witnesses to the lament that is found within its pages. And I think when we begin to do this, the first thing we learn is what true biblical lament actually is. Lament is not complaining or grumbling. Lament is not just becoming angry when we're slighted. Lament is a protesting prayer directed towards God. So let me unpack that sentence a bit through looking at our passage today and throughout the book of Lamentations. Lament is a protesting prayer directed towards God. I think that first part might be the most difficult for us to swallow. Lament is a protest. In chapter three, the poet switches from a more collective perspective that he had in the last two chapters to make the issue more personal. Representing Israel, the poet says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. 
He has driven me and brought me into darkness without light. Now, it's a bit difficult to see in the English, but the word for rod and the word for driven are both associated with the work of a shepherd, a common metaphor for God's relationship with his people. The Lord is my shepherd, most famously in Psalm 23. Here, the author of Lamentations is is flipping that metaphor on its head. He's saying, God's rod is a rod of wrath. God has shepherded his people, but he shepherded us towards darkness and not light. The author here is protesting what has happened, and he acknowledges that God is the one who has done this. This feels sacrilegious to our ears. We know that this is a righteous judgment that came upon Jerusalem. How could God allow such a protest? Much less, how could such language exist in Holy Scripture? But here is the key to biblical to biblical lament. This protest is still built on the character of God. The author is holding the reality of the world in one hand and the character of God in the other. And he's saying, this isn't right. He's lifting up his honest, heartfelt experience to God and protesting how that experience falls short of God's purpose, God's love, and God's mercy. This kind of protest only makes sense in light of God's goodness. It only makes sense if it's true that God is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. If he isn't, why bother lamenting at all? The author of Lamentations knows the promises of God deeply, and he is not abandoning them in his lament. Instead, he is standing on them, and he is calling God to account for how his lived experience differs from those promises. So to do this well, we have to know deeply the character of God. We have to swim in the reality of who God is so that when our lived experience is contrary to God's character, we too can speak up. Our relationship with God then cannot just be a passing understanding. It has to be a deep knowledge in our bones and in our gut so that when the struggles of this world appear, we too can say, this is not right. And this flows directly into the second part. Lament is a protesting prayer. It's a protest because it honestly deals with the way the world is not as God intended. But it is also a prayer in that even in its grief, even in its strong language, it never leaves the authority of God behind. It is always under God in prayerful submission. We see this throughout the book, but especially after the section we read this morning, when the author cries out for God's justice on those who have hurt him. This is from verse 55. It says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. So contrast this with our passage from this morning. It says, he made my teeth grind on gravel. The he throughout the beginning of chapter three is referring to God. So how can someone go from he has made my teeth grind and gravel to do not close your ear to my cry for help? 
The answer is when someone is being brutally honest about their experience, when they are protesting and praying at the same time, even in their protest, even when this author acknowledges God's righteous judgment in the destruction that is around him, he is still doing so prayerfully. He is still submitting to God. God invites us to do this in our prayers. Over and over again in scripture, we have commands and examples telling us and showing us how to bring our complaints, our anxieties, our concerns to God. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, says First Peter. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, says the book of Philippians. Sometimes when we honestly obey these scriptures, our prayers will be laments. They will be a protest against where we find ourselves. But we do this in submission to God, totally dependent on the revealed character of God in Scripture, standing on who God is for us. We lament and say, God, I know you are good, but life isn't good right now. I long for you to make this So we have briefly hit on lament as a protest and prayer, but this final part is the most important. It is directed towards God. Caveat to this point, we do need to hear each other's laments. Just because we direct our lament towards God doesn't mean that there isn't a need for a witness, just as we are witnesses to this book of Lamentations. Hmm. Friends and pastors and mentors and counselors and family members can all stand in the gap with us and help us to express ourselves that much better. But that being said, a true biblical lament has God as the conversation partner. And if God is your conversation partner, it is good to be thorough. The beginning of the book of Lamentations is actually built like an acrostic. Each verse begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And this structure suggests the author is trying to give us the complete experience of his suffering from A to Z. He leaves no stone unturned. There are no doors in his heart, no factories of bitterness inside that are closed off to God. He wants God to see it all, to know every protest, every prayer that haunts him during this difficult time. He has laid himself completely bare before his creator. He speaks and he speaks and he speaks. And what about God's response? Throughout the Old Testament, we have account after account of God speaking. Prophets come and say, thus says the Lord. But one thing that is strangely absent in the book of Lamentations is this voice of God. Besides one possible example towards the end of chapter 3, which simply says, do not fear, God's voice is absent. And I think we can understand this in two different directions. First, I think it is often the lived experience of the lamenter that God is silent. I'm sure all of us have had times where we have felt God's silence, where we have questioned where he was in moments of need. Let me encourage you. God's silence never means his absence. His promise to never leave us nor forsake us is a fact of the Christian life, regardless of how we feel. And so I think there's another way to read this lack of thus says the Lord in Lamentations one that I have already hinted at. I believe God is making space 
for the voices of lament. By not hearing a direct revelation from God in this book, God reveals his presence in and amidst the mourners. Years later, Jesus would come saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The book of Lamentations is the result of God blessing the mourners of Jerusalem. Their lament was enough. In Lamentations, God actually loves us with his silence, giving us space to protest, to process, and to pray. So where does that leave us? For 2020 has been difficult, though admittedly not as traumatic as the fall of Jerusalem. Still, I believe, if we're honest, many of us could create an A to Z list of things to lament from this past year. Maybe it's a lost celebration, like a wedding or an anniversary. Maybe it's an inability to gather with friends and family. Maybe it's the tension of a lost job or decreasing job opportunities. Maybe it's the fear of sickness or watching loved ones get sick. And this doesn't even touch on our cultural laments, injustice, political bickering, unchecked greed, or rampant objectification. Our experience of these realities, personal or otherwise, matter. And God desires that we bring these laments to him. And I want to encourage us to do so. But as you do, you may begin to see a shift. As you lament, keep in mind what happens here in chapter 3, particularly between verse 18 and verse 21. Verse 18 says, I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. But verse 21 says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When we bring our laments to God, don't be surprised if hopeless turns into hopeful. When we hold the reality of the world in one hand and the character of God in the other, don't be surprised if the realities of the world begin to fall away and the character of God begins to lead you to worship. And that seems to be what happened here in chapter 3. The author goes from forgetting what happiness is to celebrating God's loving kindness. He goes from feeling he can no longer go on to finding God's new mercy with every sunrise. When we begin our protesting prayers to God, like the author of Lamentations, we may not hear an answer. Instead, God himself becomes the answer. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Great is God's faithfulness. God's answer to our suffering is his very presence with us. There's no language or no words that might help heal such a tragedy like the ones we find in these pages. But being with God, just sitting in his presence, the scales of our suffering can fall away. In the end, God's final word for the weary is the word made flesh, Emmanuel. God with us, who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This word made flesh suffered as we do. He knows what it means to experience the rod of wrath, to have his flesh and skin waste away, 
he too dwelled in darkness as one dead. But then he rose again. Then he conquered sin and death, promising upon his return to wipe away every tear, to make every injustice right, to heal all sickness, and to truly be with us once again. Until that time, God calls us, God invites us to lament. He invites us to cry out when the world is not as it should be, to ask God how long until that future day. And every morning, until that glorious day, to remind ourselves that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him.